Welcome everybody to the Steve Jordan Experience. It is a pleasure to have you here again with me today. And if this is your first time joining, thank you for joining. We have an awesome show for you today. It is awesome because I am bringing on a, a friend, a colleague, someone who I admired, a mentor. For many years, we worked side by side at the National Academy of Sports Medicine almost 20 years ago. His name is Rodney Korn. And if you are in the fitness industry, you probably know who he is, have maybe been taught by him, influenced by him, have seen him. He is a man who is on a mission to change the industry and has changed the industry for generations to come. I want to welcome Rodney Korn to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. It is awesome, brother. You know, Rod, when I first started working for an ASM, there was a, a group of educators, you, Lenny, Dino, Rob Rettman, Scott Lucette, and I think, and sure, maybe if one other that I might be mistaking or missing right now, but among this group of individuals, all outstanding in their own right, and being able to take education, new studies, new research, and put it into material to create a book platform for health fitness professionals worldwide to study, to learn. But you, my friend, stood out above everybody. And the reason why you stood out, and you stood out to me at least, and that for the reasons because you made me feel when I didn't know something that I wasn't wrong or that I wasn't dumb, but you helped to bring it down to my level. You were, do you remember my nickname? My nickname was Hollywood. <laughs> and it was because I may not have had the smarts that you all had, but I had charisma and I, I, I was smart enough to be able to play in this world. But when there was something, a concept that I didn't understand, and I would remember coming in your office and you would help to really like sit down and help me to understand it and break it down in layman's terms or in a way that I best understood it. It highlighted the educator that you are, the, the, the ability to digress or regress and relate and, and, and have empathy for someone rather than making them feel silly or, or stupid or not worthy. So I want to acknowledge you for that. So it's something that I... I hold dear and I, and I remember vividly in those experiences that I had with you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. That's deeply Yeah, my, my pleasure. And I want to share that because this is who he is, ladies and gentlemen. He's somebody that he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk, but he, break, he, he's a, he has the ability to, to break things down in an ability to not just understand it, but to apply it to your life, to apply it to the world. And he's had a, a long history of being an educator, but it started first in the strength and power world. I remember when I met you, you were pretty jacked. <laughs> and I don't mean jacked in the, in the sense of banged up jacked, but you were a big dude, like strong, like you were, you, you were lifting heavy weights, power lifting. You were in your mid thirties and a prime age to be doing that. But you had a really great sense of understanding strength and power at levels that maybe many others didn't do or know in programming. Tell us where and how it came about. And I even think you were bodybuilding at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, correct. So I, I was fortunate enough to play a lot of sports growing up and I excelled in football. And so in order to play football, when you were smaller in your younger years, you had to put on a little bit of size because you want to make sure you lift. <laughs> and I actually got hurt. I had a hamstring injury in my, uh, in my freshman year of high school. I had a hamstring injury that they didn't really know what the heck it was. They just told me to go work out. So I feverishly started working out. Uh, I loved football. Football was like a passion to me. It was at eight years old. I swore I was going to play professional football and I made it my mission and uh, never did, but still had that dream. And so I started working out incessantly at about age 14, 15 years old is when I really started working out. And I, it just something that it, I loved it. It was, it was not work to me. It was actually kind of my release time, my wait time. And so that just stuck with me all the way through uh, college and, and through my football career and when I finished, I enjoyed it so much that I didn't really know what to do when I finished football. So I got into actually bodybuilding because at least it was some way that I could still compete with myself to see how uh, one of the things I, I just want to be is the, the best that I can be. And 
Obviously, we go through cycles. Uh, at one point, it was just more aesthetically, physically, that was where it was. Uh, that's changed somewhat. I'm not so concerned aesthetically. You know, I don't have a big gut, but I still want to have those. So that's where it, it came about. I got certified with the NSCA and with CSCS and strength and conditioning. I was working with a lot of high school football and junior college athletes for a while in the, in the mid, uh, late 90s. And I love that. And so I would train with them to inspire them, and they inspired me uh, not to, like, as you said, my, my God-given innate desire is to help people, to help them see or be what they don't see or don't think they can be. But it's there, and I, and I see that in people, just as I did you. You're, you're a phenomenal person. You were phenomenal at what you did, and you're phenomenal at what you do. So working with those high school and, and collegiate athletes was just, was just just investing in them and watching them grow and watching them achieve, getting better 40 times, getting stronger at lifts, and, and not just strength, but just their ability to play. Watching this team that had never really done well end up in the playoffs for the first time uh, when I was up here years ago. So that's just all kind of how it started. And it just has always been part of me. So I just enjoy the, the training element, enjoy that strength mm-hmm. and being able to lift weights and, and not getting crazy, but just enjoying that feel of being able to accomplish something and then learning how to recover from that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what were you, what are you most proud of in that period of time as a self-accomplishment of being better at that time, was it a, a, a competition that you were in or a person that you helped uh, mentor or teach or grow or some personal achievement that you had? You know, Steve, that's a great question. And now that you say it, the immediate thing that comes to my mind was watching the people that I worked with actually succeed, watching how it changed them. And I don't know if this will come out, if I can articulate this correctly, but one of the things that I know helped them achieve what they did was the fact that I was doing it with them. So it wasn't necessarily something that I would tell you to do, or I would show you, I would work with you. I just remember running around the track and I would be running with them and showing them, here's what I want it to sound like. Here's what I want your arms, your arm swing to to look and feel like. So they could watch it while we were doing it. And it wasn't me trying to fix them. It was them learning and adapting and adopting their positioning, their movements on how to do that. The same with strength training, the same with lifting, how they could become better, how they become more focused because they were, I was involved with them. Um, and, and it wasn't, it was never about me. It was about them realizing who they could be and how they could be in that situation. And anytime in that situation, that relationship, really, I always got better. It always made me better because I could see things where I could do things different, say things different to help to be better, and how I could do stuff better myself to do that. So um, helping other people to see what they do. And then I've always been a person that if I could teach something, I can learn it better. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I think uh, you hit two points there that I 100% agree. It, it, views this for myself, especially during that. That's why I loved NASM education is because as I was learning it back in the day, if you recall, we, it was all handwritten tests and it was hard as heck. And like there was, I mean, it was like, I mean, you were studying and felt it was harder than any college exam that I, I, I studied for. You know, you'd show up for a weekend at, a, at the course and then on Saturday night, you and the people there, there's only like 10, 15 people are cramming all night long, pulling all nighters to take a written test on Sunday that you yeah. like waited two, three weeks to get the results back. And it was, it was, it was, it was terrible. It was tough, you know, but it was, it made you tough. But the point is that like during that time, like you learned it by doing it. And that's what I love about education and ASM and the application of that. So yeah, teach and you will learn more. And then the other point is, being selfless and having the, the ability to coach somebody or teach somebody not to fix them. I think that's huge. That was such a really important thing. Cause I think as I've gotten caught up in that, you know, absolutely where I want to fix somebody uh, cause 
that's what men tend to do, right? Was, right? As the saying goes, we want to fix our wives or people, but as a professional as well. And there's just times you can't, you have to just guide somebody and give them the tools and show them a better way of doing it in hopes that they do. And just keep reiterating that and, um, you know, know that if they don't, you haven't yet failed. What would you say to somebody, a fitness professional who hears that, understand that better, to relate to it better, to overcome that? Like, is there a lesson here that you can, can you, that you can elaborate on? Well, there's probably infinite lessons that I've made because I've made infinite mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) But the the issue is, and some of it's cliche, the issue is never the mistake. Making a mistake isn't bad unless it's an intentional mistake to harmfully hurt somebody. So let's get that out of the way. But mistakes are great. Because mistakes are learning opportunities. And without mistakes, you don't know what you're doing right or wrong. An example is when the, when the, the guys that I was working with used to run, uh, and there was actually females that I worked with too, when they would run and we would do training for sprinting and whatnot, instead of me telling them what to do, I would always ask them. So one of the biggest things, and this is something that we use uh, phenomenally in, in PTA Global, which is a company I work for following NASM, and with a partner of mine that in, in a company we developed called Feel Soma, which is about self-care, Ian O'Dwyer uh, is brilliant at. Uh, I got to give them props because this is where I got it. But we ask instead of tell. If you ask people versus telling them something, the, the learning experience for them dramatically changes. And it all goes back into behavioral science. But basically, you're, you're allowing them to begin to take control of a situation and start to learn versus almost cramming something or forcing something on them. So using the example of what they would run, there's, you can hear your feet when you run, if you're listening, if you're aware, if you're paying attention. So when they would finish, they'd say, how did I do? How did I do? And I would look at them. i say, do tell me, how did you do? How did it sound? How did the feet sound? And then they would have to go back. And then the first few times they do that, they're like, ah, I totally forgot. But then what would happen is over a period of weeks, they would finish and they would stop and say, you know what? That sounded much better. I didn't have to say anything. It becomes a point where you're giving them the tools to understand what they need. And then all you have to do is fine tune that. And it's the same with the fitness professionals, the same with the industry. If we can ask better questions or ask questions that help the person learn, without just asking questions just for question's sake and making your client like, I don't know. You have to lead them with a question. And then if they don't know how to answer it, say, did it sound, for instance, when they were running, did it sound real heavy? Did it sound light? Did it sound consistent? Like tap, 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 or was it inconsistent? Tap, 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 tap. So you can lead them to kind of get what you're asking for without telling them what they need to do because until you can create an awareness in the person that you're working with, they're not going to truly understand. And that'll create frustration in a fitness professional. And that's why a lot of fitness professionals see in your business, you know, you've experienced this many times. If, if you're so wrapped up in people being perfect or doing everything the way you tell them to, you become frustrated and that can lead to burnout. We've all experienced a form of burnout We have to go back and figure out why am I burnt out? Is it because I don't have a good relationship with my clients? And I have a lot of people that I've been around fitness professional wise who say, I just don't attract the right client. The question is, is it that the client isn't right or are you not right with them? Not for them, but are you not right with them? Are you not accommodating them and, and taking the time to learn who they are and understanding who you are? And this is the mature process that we don't, we don't teach in the fitness industry. We've never taught. It's something that we really try to strive for at PTA Global and something we definitively do uh, in the Feel Soma workshops that we've done is you have to, as a fitness professional, know who you are. What are you biased towards? What type of training are you biased towards? What type of equipment are you biased towards? Because all of those will show up in your training session, because you have to remember, whoever's in front of you, whether it's a one-on-one or a group, you are in a relationship. And every relationship has two sides. And every relationship 
One side's bringing their baggage. The other side brings their baggage. If you don't know your baggage, you don't know how you're positively or negatively influencing the person in front of you. So the more you understand who you are, the better you can begin to start accommodating the person and realize some people may think that I'm too pushy or too loud or too, because of the way that I talk, because of the way that I use my hands. There's a lot of different behavioral traits that we use that can completely interfere with a session that if we knew that the person in front of us talks slower than we do, if we slow down, that may make them feel at more ease. Now they're not anxious. We don't have to be anxious. And all of a sudden you've taken some of the anxiety out of the room. So just little things like that. I think that's where we can really have an impact and start changing people's uh, or helping, helping people change their lives versus trying to change their life. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really, I love everything you said there, and it is hit home in so many ways, and uh, personally and professionally. You know, if I, hindsight 2020, I, I would have gone to school rather for than for kinesiology, but for psychology and or human behavior and understanding human behavior, because I've had more impact and influence on the clients and people that I've worked with and coached or lectured and, and done things where I can connect with them on that personal level and, and, and use the skills that you were talking about, whether it's the tonality or the speed of my speech or my body language and hand gestures uh, and just being able to connect with them and relate to them in all those ways, learned skills that I got. And one of the best influences that I had in that area was Tony Robbins. Uh, so I did uh, several of his workshops over over the past 15, 16 years where I learned, you know, mirroring and connecting and relating to people on their level, um, you know, so it definitely helps. So if you're listening and you're a fitness professional or even a professional in any area, I don't think this is, this is not just specific to the health and fitness industry. This is specific to life. Yeah. And Bobby Capuccio, who was with, with me at uh, PTA Global and NESM, uh, he is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. he, excuse me. He, Isn't that like part of neurolinguistic neuro programming, LLP? Yeah, right? Bobby, Bobby was, was he's so vastly diverse in so many different areas relative to behavior and communication. And he was doing this stuff 20 years ago at NESM, and people thought he was insane. I mean, <laughs> when I knew him 20 years ago, I'd, dude, you're, you're so far out of the limb, I don't know who you are. Right. But fast forward it. 10 years and he was a PTA global and it's like, dude, you are a genius. Yeah. And we took all that and that's what we did at PTA global. We, we wrapped your science into everything. So it wasn't like, here's your physical sciences and here's your mental sciences and your behavioral science. It was how can we train people and actually help them change their behavior with the training that they're actually doing. It was all mm -hmm. embedded into it. It was brilliant. It's amazing. All right, so now let's 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 touch on NASM for a moment of time uh, because it was a, a pivotal point, I believe, in your career. Um, you know, you became what was your title there? I was a director of education for a while, and then it changed to senior educator or whatever when I yeah. went below. And, and you co-authored several of their books, um, you know, and uh, you highlight a lot of the background you had in sports-specific training, in uh, powerlifting, strength training. But what we got into there and, and, and the OPT model, the optimal performance training model that Dr. Michael Clark, our friend and colleague, uh, created that began the platform on there with corrective exercise training from what I recall. And what we just spoke about a little offline was that you got heavily into corrective exercise training, you know, foam rolling at the time was when was, was kind of introduced now today a staple in almost every program out there. Um, and you know, you got really deep into the science of it, the understanding of it. I remember coming down into our gym down there and you'd be spending an hour just foam rolling and finding new ways and, pinning, you know, I think you, you created and established certain ways of foam rolling that people still use today that were from your, your brainchild, like from your experience in doing it. So can you highlight some of that transition where and how is, 
your just want and need to understand all facets of the human movement and and, and not just human movement, but uh, the way we move, recover, uh, perform? What, where does all this come from? Yeah, it comes from pain. That's where it comes from. <laughs> pain is a great motivator. Yeah. So <laughs> it's the best motivator. One, one of the things when for, for those that may be listening who are under 30 or early 30s and, and, and under, <clears throat> this this is hard to to actually picture uh, unless you've had a situation where you've been injured. But I played football, tackle football for about 15 years. And then I got into bodybuilding and then I did a lot of heavy uh, power lifting and some Olympic lifting. And when you only do the typical stretch routine or dynamic warm-up routine, you're missing an understanding of how your tissues operate and how they actually break down and need to recover. And I didn't realize this until 1999, and I started working with NESM in 1999. <clears throat> and at that time, I was gathering a bunch of information because of what I wanted to do was create an actual system with NESM. And so I had already started developing this three-level system, and we were going to go through and try to work. Basically, it was stabilization, strength, and power, but it wasn't termed that at that particular time. I was still in the process. Anyways, went to... Uh, this Vern Gambetta mm. conference this with Vern Gambetta and, and then Mike Clark showed up and Mike Clark started going through this overhead squat routine. And I was like, wow, one, I've never heard that before. And it totally makes sense. Uh, two, this guy's really smart. So I got to know Mike a little bit more, ended up going out to his place in Arizona and he took me through, he had a, an OBT workshop at the time. And basically what it was, was the OBT model that you see now, it was already developed back in the, in the, the mid to early, or late 90s. <clears throat> and he would take you through basically a two and a half day workshop. In that workshop, he started going through foam rolling. And I had, that's, I had foam rolled for the first time in 1999. And the first time I foam rolled, I was in such utter pain that I was in a full, complete sweat. And I was thinking, this can't be good for you. This, is, this has got to be wrong. But then when you hear, and then that's what, that's what started because I was, I was having back pain and then back pain would reoccur like every three months. And it would be because of, you know, I could squat 500 pounds, but when I go to bend over and pick up my keys, ah, I do your back. So that didn't make sense to me. How can you do that, but you can't do that? So that's when I started getting to know Mike. Long story short, it, I basically convinced Mike to come and work with NESM, put him and Niels Cruz together. Long story short. Oh, you did that. Yeah. So I oh, met yeah, that's Mike. That's awesome. I didn't I know that. I met Mike and I talked with Mike because when I saw the OPT model, I was like, you don't need to recreate a wheel. Because I was going to go through and talk with, I was talking with Paul Check and Gary Gray and Carlos Santana, all these different people. And I was going to pull all this information together and turn it into this system. Um, I, I, I thank God for the, the ability. I can take information and turn it into something that will become almost a seamless process uh, if, if I'm concentrating. And that's kind of my gift. That's what I've been doing for the last 20 five years. Yep. So I was planning to do that. But when I saw Mike, I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And so after talking with Mike, I realized he was in a position where he may want to change where he was at because he was at a, he was doing some physical therapy and working with a lot of professional athletes out of this physical therapy clinic in Arizona. Anyways, talked to him. He was open to talk with me and we talked and he came on. And so we took all that OBT model information. Uh, what I did is then took all of his awesome content and just made it into a system, which was the CPT, where it was a step-by-step. -step. Here's what you do. Here's what you do next. Here's what else. And then turn it into something that would be easier to understand and then apply in a system. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I did with it. But when it, was, it was revolutionary. I mean, it was the oh, first yeah. time I had all the certifications up to that point. I believed that education was power. And I wanted to stand out among other trainers that I would potentially be around with more education from CSCS, ACE, um, and ACSM. 
But when I got the NASM CPT, my world changed. Like I wasn't training back and buys, chest and tries, you know, and legs on some days. Um, It was like based on the system of assessing and creating a plan and a program. That's what I was sort of alluding to back in the conversation earlier about how I started to do it, to teach it as I was learning it to my clients. And, you know, without even having the certification as I was studying it, I was doing it and it was world of a difference. It was amazing the way that you put that together. So, wow, congrats. I had no idea that you brought it all together. Yeah. I, Mike had all the information. I just tried to form it and make it systematic. You didn't try, it, brother. You did. It. <laughs> it would be easy to actually go through in a step-by-step process. Uh, and all the OPT model was is the fitness industry had no concept of periodization. So in your CSS, you learn about periodization. The OPT model is just a periodization scheme. That's all it is. Yeah. But it has, a, it has a little bit more specificity than your traditional just periodization scheme. So that's where the, the beauty and simplicity is of it. It, it. Unfortunately, it never really got used, and probably most people don't use it the way that it really could or should be used. They yeah. just look at it as, oh, I have to do that. It's way more than that. But For the sure. whole rolling thing came back because I always want to learn. I, I you remember at NESM, I want to make sure that I knew everything that was in our information and I did everything that was in our information. And I wanted all the instructors to be able to do that, to actually go through and do the phases of training and to work with clientele at the Calabasas office to where you had to have some training experience because you're teaching trainers. So if you've never train someone with the OPT model, but you're going to teach them. It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that was something that was big to me. And this, this foam rolling thing was just so huge because what I started doing is I started just doing it every day. And in three months, my whole body was different. My whole being was different. I felt different. I was different. I moved different. And then that got me to realize that, wow, all of this stuff that that most people never have seen or never do is kind of a missing link. And then that's when we started getting into corrective exercise, but just understanding different fiber types, different training schemes, like doing stability work. How important is that in the actual process of a training journey and how most people don't do that because it, it either isn't sexy, it's, you're not lifting a lot of weight, you're not doing something, but how important that it is if you can blend it in to everything that you do. And so that's when I invested uh, a lot of time and I wrote what was essentially the first paper on foam rolling because there was only a few research articles out at that time. Back in, I think it was 2003 or four. I wrote the first paper that was a kind of a comprehensive review of here's what foam rolling really is. And this is kind of how it works. And this is the different ways that you can use it. Uh, Lenny Parasino actually developed the pin, kind of that pin technique, mm-hmm. using the, the, the pin where you kind of pin something and you would use that stretch. Yeah. There's been other people who've come up with different types of techniques. Cross fiber. The, the cross fiber technique, there's, in, instead of just a rolling, we have, in some would call it shifting. So you're shifting, which is a cross fiber technique. There's different ways to do that. Uh, and then what Ian O'Dwyer had come up with when we were working at PTA Glowline, I remember this like it was yesterday, at the uh, Doubletree Inn down in San Diego. He had just come in from uh, his 40-hour flight from Australia, and he's like, I've got something I want to work with you on. So we were in a room for all hours of the night, and he was showing me. He goes, what if we go to the bony areas of the body? Because we only roll muscles. Why not the bony areas? So we started going through and working on how that works. So in the field soma, we go through what we call, uh, we call it engagement, not release. We call it, it's self-osteofascial engagement. So there's myofascial engagement and osteofascial. Osteo is bone. So for instance, on the lateral part of the knee, where your tibia and your fibula come together, that tib-fib joint up there and the whole knee, knee region, that's such a huge region for the ability of all, t- all tissue, because if you, if you see a bony area like your knee, you think, well, there's no muscle there, but it doesn't mean there's not tissue there. 
because mm. that's all encased in fascia. And this is where uh, now you're understanding that we have all of, all of this tissue and all of that tissue is fluid based, which means that all of that tissue can at some point get sticky and gummy. Mm. And if it does, it can't slide and glide. And if that happens and you can't get movement, if that happens, the joint doesn't function. So now you've got all these restrictions that show up that may not necessarily be in the muscle, but they also may be around these bony regions or, or mm. joint areas. So I remember uh, one of the last times I hung out with Lenny Parasino, we, we've gone surfing together a few times. It's been, been quite a while, probably like seven years or so. Um, but I, I'd love to reconnect with him. I'm going to. Um, he invited me to go see that uh, human atomist guy, yeah. Gil. Yeah. What's his What's his name? Gil Headley. Gil Headley. Yeah. And I went to his workshop, and he talked about the the goo, the sticky yeah. stuff, and um, I've shared that with the fuzz. That's the what fuzz it is. The fuzz. <laughs> yeah, I've shared that with a few people, and man, it's crazy. Like you said, there's connective tissue everywhere. So yeah. amazing, good stuff. And if you're listening to this, Google. The fuzz uh, speech. Fuzz speech. Gil Headley, H E D L E Y. Yeah, don't get grossed out. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Stay with it. Um, awesome. So uh, again, acknowledging you for your contribution in NASM and like the longevity. Thinking about, I still recommend people like when they want to go and get certified or they're interested. I say go there. That's a great start. Great platform. Great way of learning the basics, fundamentals, and then you can kind of tweak it and go wherever you want later on. But uh, would you still agree with that? Yeah, I think NESM content lends itself to being uh, as useful and practical as any content that's out there. Uh, if PTA Global was still around, that would be number one because that was by far the most practical because it wrapped behavior into the programming strategy. It showed you how to look at the different behavioral styles that people have, how to accommodate mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. different exercises but yes i would definitely agree nesm right now is probably the, the best most practical overall certification that you can get awesome but you gotta you gotta go beyond what you just study for the test yeah for sure and so pta global is no longer uh, a program no pta global actually got purchased by the by ascend the company that owns nesm and afa it got purchased by them and then i I'm assuming now it's just been dismantled. Okay. <laughs> and then it, the, it, uh, must have been, it must have been good because it's no longer around. They <laughs> got taken, taken out of the market. So and then the, the, the next uh, progression in your career um, was, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, Sono, so, Soma, S-O-M-A? Yeah. So after NESM, I went and, and worked with uh, Bobby Capuccio, Scott Hobson, Michelle Scott Dalton. is awesome. I love Scott yeah. over in so England. So Hoppo was the he he was the former director of education for international for PowerPlay. Michelle Dalcourt has invented Viper. He was one of the co-founders, and then Ian O'Dwyer, who is my partner in Phil Soma, and just an awesome, awesome guy. And then Richard Boyd, who used to own PT on the net, which is no longer in existence. But that was like that was like the bomb back in the Oh, I remember Richard. Dallas. He used to come over as that tall. Yeah, and he was, they like, used to be part of NESM. So or, they were awesome. Yeah, and an Australian yeah. guy. Yeah. So we all formed and were co-founders of PTA Global and did that. That ended up getting purchased and dismantled like we talked about. And then Ian reached out to me in 2017 and said, hey, what if we continue with some of this uh, self-care stuff that we started with, some of the rolling things? And he, has, uh, he was doing what's called a mobilizer, which is slow rhythmical motion. And they are, they are awesome. And it's, it's not, it's not a stretch. It's not a, like a dynamic warm up. It's just slow rhythmical motion with, we have a, we had a whole system that we built uh, with different patterns uh, of, of movement. So, and we had, we broke the body up into an ankle ring, a knee ring or a foot and ankle ring, a knee ring, a pelvic ring, and then a shoulder ring, which is basically from your rib cage up. So we had these four rings and we would just use myofascial engagement, osteofascial engagement. We have what we call a, a kind of a self-positional activation, which is a low-level isometric contraction, which is based upon Greg Roscoff's muscle activation technique, um, which is a phenomenal process. And then we did these mobilizers. So we had these four 
different applications that we wrapped up into in Philsoma. We had four different applications that we wrapped up into an actual system. And then so we have a, a whole, what we call a kind of a prep score. We are walking someone through to find out what their stress level is today. We got that from PTA Global. We call it a daily, a daily readiness observation with Dr. O. And all it is is a, it's a subjective uh, evaluation of how, you're, how, you, how you are today. Where's your stress level at? Looks at sleep, looks at mood, looks at food, looks at your physical being, basically. And based that. on that, you get a score. And then that score will indicate, and there's far more to it, but that score indicates how stressed you are today and then what areas may be more stressed. And then based upon that, that changes what you may want to do uh, from a, a warm-up, a preparatory standpoint, a cool-down standpoint, uh, even within session kind of training. So we just showed people, and we called it SOMA because SOMA was an acronym that stands for Self Osteomyofascial Applications. The key is self. We were teaching people, what we do is we teach people how to take care of yourself with these different applications that we mm -hmm. provide. Uh, and that was, that was a big deal. We had a ton of fun. We were distributed in China for a while. So we were making lots of chip, trips to China and through Southeast Asia and Australia. And then obviously everything went weird in 2020. And so mm -hmm. for the last two years, um, Ian has taken that and has run with it in Australia and New Zealand area. Doing that. So that was awesome. Well, we, we have a lot of listeners in Australia and I've had yeah. some guests on there as well. So I'm sure they're going to know of this. And uh, if you don't definitely check that out, uh, yeah, where can they look, for, where could they search that? Where, where's the Soma? What's this website? Just go to feelsoma.com. All one word, F-E-E-L-S-O-M-A.com. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the business of recovery. So, <laughs> and I say business, right? Because, yeah. you know, back in the day when we were doing it, it was more just for application and programming. Now, uh, entrepreneurs, people who have uh, vision to make money and, and capitalize on move, uh, a movement or a trend. And I, I use that word lightly, trend, because trends tend to go out. This is something that's going to stick around forever. Um, why do you think there is more of a business of recovery now? Why is there more focus of it? Is it because the demands of life are getting more just personally or and in the, the, the world of strength training, uh, performance training, athletes working at the highest level? I mean, the things that athletes do today, we're not was like which not even thought of 20 years ago, like, and, and just the, the level that we're putting ourselves into mentally, emotionally, uh, you know, and physically is beyond what we were ever thought capable and recovery is essential now. Would this yeah. be, you know, can you comment on that? And do you, can you give yeah. us some insight into what your thoughts are around this? First off, you're exactly right. And there's been some people for a long time who've been doing this. Uh, and, and I'll throw Greg Roscoff out because his muscle activation technique is phenomenal. He's been around for 20 years doing this and has a rock solid, awesome process. And you can actually get uh, uh, college credits for it and take it as a college course. Yeah. And it's, it's an awesome, awesome process. He's been doing that. Sue Hitzman had the melt method. She's had that for forever. And that was a very foam roll movement kind of base process that has helped a ton of people. And it's all been about this self-care movement. It was, it, it's transitioned into recovery and that's become the buzzword like the core was back in 2000. We just create these buzzwords uh, because it, it's like, oh, we have that. And what, what people are finding is this recovery process was actually part of NESM in 2000. And, but people don't truly understand it. And I think some of the launching pad, obviously what's happened and transpired over the last three years has completely uh, exacerbated mental illness, which is creating physical illness and the need to get, to get better, the need to feel better. Uh, people don't feel good. And if you don't feel good, you don't move. If you don't move, you don't live. So one of the taglines of Phil Soma is move, feel, live better. 
because if you if we can get you to move better, you will feel better because you can't separate mental and emotional from physical. You can't separate them. They're, they're interlinked. And we were talking about that before we got on is if I can get someone to move better, there's an immediate wow. And that wow translates into an emotional response that turns into a feeling that all of a sudden is, is able to change someone's mindset. That will help you live better if you can consistently do that. I think I, I look at, I'm sure there's a lot of variables that have gone into kind of the boom. Uh, I know this whole last three years has been a huge factor because now it's just skyrocketing in the fitness world. There's people are putting in tons of money and they're trying to get tech involved and they're doing all these different things. And you got whoop and you got all these people with heart rate variability things, which have been around for a decade and a half now, uh, which goes back to, by the way, those things are correlated to that the, uh, the prep score or that stress inventory that we were talking about that, that tells you your stress level. That's subjective. That's all research-based that shows that that will correlate to your stress levels, mm-hmm. which means that there's a decreased performance, increased chance of illness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We also use that in Lego, very similar to what we call raw readiness and well-being. So it's a raw score. But I think you get people like Tom Brady. Tom Brady, NFL quarterback, has been around for 20-plus years now, 22 years. He's going into his 40s. Phenomenal. Well, he got on this whole recovery bandwagon years ago, and foam rolling just happened to be a big part of that diet, nutrition. All these things started combining. So now you have this dude who's playing at an elite level for a long period of time. So you have people in athletics now who are starting to become aware of this. I know the University of Alabama. Uh, especially the football team, they have dumped millions of dollars into a whole recovery process. They've got Dr. Ray, who's one of the like forerunners in, in research in, in the strength and conditioning world. Uh, you've got all these people who are starting to, Clemson is in the same, down in the, the SEC, they got it going on, where recovery becomes this huge, huge deal. I know even like a lot of the Alabama athletes will use these little massage tools, they get it that's, as part of going from power plate, right? Yeah. They, they, yeah. Use, they start using these things. They're starting to see the benefits of how that, how that works, the importance of that. So I think that's where this buzz is starting to kind of build and people are starting to hear about it more on TV and on radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you have, there's so, there's such an overwhelming variety. Uh, the one thing that I would really, ask people is there's a lot of different ways to recover and to feel better. There's some that are very complicated and there's some that are very simple. And so you have to figure out which one is going to work best with you. Is it something that's going to be an extremely complicated where you got 58 different movements or 150 or something that you can learn and do yourself, figure out which one works best for you because there's a lot of different things that are out there that you can do to, to help you recover because it's vital. It's, it's vital now more than ever to actually sustain a quality of life. And I go back to Neil Spruce, who was the owner of NASM. He then owned PTA Global. Now he owns Fit, which is a supplementation company, nutrition supplementation company, which is one of the best in the world. And he always talks about you have your, you know, your lifespan, but you should also be concerned with your play span. Yeah. And, and the, the closer your play and your lifespan can be, partner together, that's a better quality of life for you because you want to be able to, to play as long as you can when you're alive. Neil, Neil was on the show, um, which was awesome to catch up, which, uh, you know, highly got me highly motivated to reach out to you. And I, I reached out to Mike Clark as well, who will be on the show and also Bobby Capuccio and um, uh, just too. really great to reconnect with everybody. And if you want to listen to Neil Spruce's uh, podcast is episode 174 on May 12th, um, which was a great, great episode and, and super cool to connect with Neil, an outstanding yeah. individual. Obviously, um, you know, he knows the right people to pick because he he lives that. So um, that's awesome. I, I also want to um, I wanted to talk about uh, there was a thought that I had in recovery, but it was more about um, hmm, it'll come to me. Lost my train of thought there. Um, we'll jump to Alico. 
Okay, so this is the next progression in your in your um, in where you're at now, where you're doing. You're the director of education at LICO, literally like almost a <laughs> a full circle of uh, you know strength power. LICO being at the pinnacle of strength and power. If you ever watched uh, power training or power um, lifting competitions anywhere, LICO worldwide is the brand. I fortunately, thank God, have a couple of Lico, not a couple, I have a, a set in my garage that I got um, uh, about a year ago. Uh, did not pay full price for it, but a friend of mine knew a family, very wealthy family that uh, she was the assistant and she texted me. She's like, hey, I've got some equipment. I uh, thought you might be interested in buying. Let me know. And she sent me pictures and I was like, damn. I was like, yeah, sure. And she's like, they're like brand new. And yeah. Rod, they were like brand new, like still in the box. These people never used it. And I was like, how much? And she like said uh, something like 2,500, you know, and it was still like a thousand below what it was. I was like, yeah. I don't need it. I would want it, but I don't need it. And I was like, I'll give them a thousand. Just like I went for, the, I went, I went real low. Like this yeah. is the best negotiating I've ever done. That's why I'm talking about it. Cause I'm the worst, nego <laughs> I'm the worst negotiator. Don't ever bring me to like a place where you need to negotiate. I'm the worst. My wife will tell you, she's like, you're terrible. So I was like, I'll give you a thousand just because I didn't need it, but it would be nice to have. Right. So I was like, and I was like, good luck selling it. It's a really hard ticket item to sell. You know, it's gotta yeah. be pretty unique. So sure enough, like two months later, she texts back. She's like, They'll give it to you for a thousand. If you come pick it up, I'm like, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's so the thousand bucks you spent because you won't have to spend a thousand bucks anymore. Totally, man. I got like 300 pounds of uh, Alico plates out there that I yeah. love. They're just nice to look at. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. great, great. And and I bring that you know story. Like obviously, it's a personal story. I thought it was a little joke, but not joke, but just a a, a nice little laugh. But I, I, I highlight that because LICO is at the pinnacle and to be the educator, uh, director of educator there means something really extraordinary because you're impacting and influencing people's lives and programming around the world uh, at the highest level. So tell us about your experience there uh, so far, what you're up to and how it has also changed who you are as an educator, uh, being in around that elite group and level of people and, and brands. Yeah, so first off, I have to just jump in and say the actual pronunciation is a lake O. It's like, oh, uh, lake. thank you. Yeah, I, I, had, I had someone tell me that day one because <laughs> everyone wants to say a lake O, but it's a lake O because it's Swedish and it actually stands for Electrical Installation Company. So the ELE is the electrical, the I is an installation, and company is KO because it's a Swedish company. Yeah. And it started originally as, as an appliance company. No way. So the waffle iron is like one of the trademark things that we still have today. But then there was a, an employee that was at Aleco who was a weightlifter. And he wanted to, every time he went to a weightlifting competition, they were just breaking bars and bending bars and they were just going through bars and bars and bars. And he went back to the owner and he said, hey, can we make a, because we, we deal in steel and build appliances, can we make a weightlifting bar? So they made one in 1957. And then in 1963, it was used in the, in the, World Championships for the first time it was the only bar to ever go without without breaking ever. So wow. that's that's the trademark. And then from that point on, and then later on, we had someone who said, "What if we took a bicycle tire and wrapped it around one of the metal plates? Because then we could drop that, and so we could lift heavier weights because we could then drop them." So we were the first to develop the bumper plate. So that's the legacy where Aleco transitioned from the appliances electrical all of a sudden turned into this monster. It's the oldest equipment company in the world, it's over 60 years. So it's about 60, 62, three, four years, five years now, I guess. And, and that's the legacy is having equipment that doesn't break. So our bars and our plates and all the, those are, I mean, it's the last one that you'll get, provided you take care of it and don't leave it out in the rain or something. Right, so, incredible. The, the company's awesome. Over a thousand world records set on, on the, those particular pieces of equipment in all the weightlifting and powerlifting championships, uh, IWF approved, which is the International Weightlifting Federation, IPF approved, which is the Powerlifting Federation. So relationships and, and certified by all those companies with the equipment. And then we have education 
uh, as well that maps to all of our equipment. So we teach weightlifting. Uh, and we break weightlifting down, Steve, in, in a fashion that, that I believe in. Break it down to make it accessible for everyone to do it. So we're not going to teach you how to be a competitive weightlifter, but we're going to teach you how to do weightlifting so it's no longer like this stigma to you or this kind of scary, mysterious movement that's like, oh my gosh, that, that's just, no, it's just a skill that you learn like any other movement or movement pattern that you learn. Uh, powerlifting, we have functional training, which is kind of a CrossFit-esque. And then we have a tactical training course, which is a full-length course uh, specific to, it, it. people stigmatize that by being it's a military course or it's a first responder course. But tactical training just is a way for embedding mental, emotional strategies into the physical strategies to overcome and create a mental resiliency as well as physical resiliency. Mm. Uh, and you and I talked about that uh, prior to getting on the show and, you know, that mindset, emotional set. Uh, tell us about that. How, how important is that in your application of, uh, you know, exercise, movements, in your ability to get gain results and maintain results? What's, what's that application look like and how can we affect it and or influence it? Well, the, it, it, that mental resiliency component, we teach it how to kind of how to bleed that into the physical training environment. And it can be different for different populations. So if it's an athletic population, it would look and feel a little different than if it was a military population mm -hmm. or fire and rescue, because they're tasks that they have to do that require mental resiliency. So think of a fireman, for example, a fireman, could be dead asleep, all of a sudden get a call, you're going from zero to 100 in, in instantly, you're driving somewhere, you may have to run up a flight of stairs, then you get up there and you have to then administer something to someone, whether you have to get somebody or, or it's a paramedic situation, you know, you're, you're trying to do some type of blood pressure, but if you're running and you're doing all these things, how do you overcome that? How do you overcome all of the, the physical pr parameters? Oops, I'm sorry. How do you come overcome all the physical parameters and still be able to cognitively be aware of what you're doing, be able to mentally figure out what has to happen? And that's what the military faces all the time. You know, you're going from zero to hundred police officers. So you got law enforcement, fire rescue, you have all these different components, SWAT team who have these highly skilled or, or more fine motor control things that they may have to do. Some of them may have to do mental tasks, uh, police officer, do I shoot? Do I not shoot? Well, I just chased someone. All of a sudden, I'm confronted with people. How do you get to that point? So it's, it's how do you embed that in a training environment? And so we have a, a variety of different uh, applications that we can do. We, we'll do it where you, you may be working out. So whatever type of work, it could be a body weight circuit. It could be doing uh, five reps of a hang clean. But then you immediately have to go over, and now you have to thread a needle through something. So oh, wow. all of a sudden, you've just gone from there to there. So you're, you, then you have to teach someone, how do I get myself from, from this ramped up state to a recovery state and be able to pay attention and be cognitively aware? So it's something that you train. You know, in athletics, we did that where you may be running, and then your coach points, and you have to, you have to go on demand. So you don't know which way they're going to go. So that's a little bit of the same process. So redefining reactive training, like we, we created it. Yeah, it's, it, it is a reactive training, but it's, it's inducing something where there's an unpredictable, there's an unpredictable, unpredictable element into this because the whole thing is, is based on unpredictability. Mm -hmm. So the more that you can be ready for unpredictably, an unpredictable situation, that's where you start to be able to train resiliency. You can't get resiliency unless you have stress and you can't get resiliency unless you have recovery. So you have to be able to manage the stress and be able to recover from that stress in order to adapt to it, which is the resiliency part, the bouncing back from those particular stressors. Awesome. Uh, in, in light of managing your time, I know you just had a, something come in there. Are you good on time for maybe another five minutes? Yeah, let's go five more minutes. Great. I just want to close up uh, and uh, or even three minutes. I know that uh, we're just a few minutes over right now. 
Um, and I don't want to create stress for you <laughs> and or the person that you might be yeah. interacting with next. Um, so, you know, to kind of bring this around full circle, uh, you know, Rod, like the ability to, you know, create change uh, has so many facets. And, and I don't just mean that from a uh, like a physical standpoint, career, uh, life, um, professionally, like all of the above. What would you say were is or was is your biggest lesson in life that you can share with us like that you would like to impart if you had one final breath and i know you're a very faithful individual um if you were you know on your deathbed and you were the world was listening and you had one quote one thing to say to everybody what would that be that is a big question uh i Think you better know where you're going to spend eternity because that's a whole lot more relevant than where you are right now. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's, and that's, that's a lot of time. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast. But that ultimately to me is what everything is about and why I always want to help people be and do what they didn't know they could be and do mm. is we're here to help other people and it's not for our own sake and it's not just for their sake, because I believe that there's obviously a, a most high power, not a higher power, but a most high power. And if you, if you're not, if you're not in tune with that, um, that's something that I would urge people to get in tune with because there is an answer and there will be an eternity and eternity isn't what you want it to be. Eternity is, there it already exists and i think a lot of times we get we get kind of wrapped up in well it's whatever i want it to be that's that that wouldn't make logical sense even from the laws of logic that wouldn't make sense yeah so that's what i would just have people just make sure that you're fully aware and that you've actually done your research not reading a book but actually doing your research and looking at you know who is the one that says that i am the way the truth and the life it's a big statement put all those words together and why would someone say that? And is it true? Because that's what you have to actually determine. Because if that's true, then there is a way and a truth in life. And that's, that's kind of my, my statement. And that's only just a statement based on so much background knowledge that people, you, nobody knows anything about me, of where I started, what happened in my life and where I am today and what I went through to, to actually grasp that and understand yeah. and truly, truly believe it. Well, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that about you. I always have, I remember at NASM, I was again, Hollywood nicknamed and I would come in with stories and probably smelling like alcohol and burning the candle at both ends. And I remember there are a few times when you <clears> call me in and you, you were like, come in young man, like, let me show you the way. <laughs> and like you, you know, you opened some things up, you shared some scriptures, you shared your faith, you shared some things and there's one thing that I have. I don't have it right here near me, but it's near to my near to my heart, and I know where it is if I needed to get it. You gave me a book when I left NASM called Mind Gym. I don't know if you remember that, and it was a, a profound book. And the first chapter in there was Yogi Bear's quote. At the top of each chapter was a quote. It's you know the ninety percent of the bat or ninety percent of the game is mental, and uh, you know you are always someone that. I believe cared about me, someone that, you know, want to see me do my best. And I appreciate you being here coming after 20 years. And, you know, we connected a few times in between, but, you know, being able to carve out time of your day and, and spend time with me and my guests. And I hope that you share this with your friends and, and listeners and people that you interact with, even at Aleko. Aleko. A Lego. Thank you. Like a Lego. A Lego. It's um, a Lego. Like a lake. I'm going to go swimming in a lake. And then oh. I'm going to go. Right. <laughs> so a Lego, you can share with them, you know, but you have always been an influence in my life and will be. And I, I, I'm really appreciative that you share this info with us. I know that the listeners are going to really enjoy this, you know, and I just grateful to have you in my life. So thank you. And likewise, and I appreciate you reaching out and us getting a chance to talk on this, Steve, and, and I just want you to know personally and then everyone else to know how awesome you really are because I've known you for so long. 
and what you do does make a difference. And just want to just want to give you props because you've done so much, and everything you're doing would be I would have expected nothing less 20 years ago when when I met you because that's just who you are. Uh, the only reason I called you in when you smelled the way you did sometimes <laughs> because that was me years before. So I, 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 all right, I've been down. Yeah, we got that road. Only worse. That was that was way worse. So yeah, we all have one last thing, just so your reader, your, your listeners know, if they want to get some education from Aleko, just go to aleko.com, E-L-E-I-K-O.com. There's an education tab. You can click on the courses and it'll open up a page and you can see all kinds of courses on that page. And then on that page there's a little resource tab and you can hit resources. We got a bunch of free resources there as well. So they can awesome. have all kinds of stuff if you want. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and you, if you don't take advantage of that and you're in the space of wanting more education, like this is the best, this is the pinnacle. And Rodney here is delivering it to you. So again, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned in this long. Uh, Rod, love you, brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. We'll have you on again in the future and uh, let's stay more in touch. Yeah, love you too. And all my best to everyone who's listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody.